welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast. If you're already doing so, thank you and tell your friends to do so as well. Besides nhte.net, you can also find the show on iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, as well as on Spotify and lots of other podcast platforms. There are links to now hear this entertainment on at least a half dozen podcast apps at nhte.net. The show is on a whole bunch more, though, so don't worry if you don't see your favorite on there. Look for this show almost anywhere you get podcasts. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from approximately 90 minutes from Atlanta, Georgia, my guest is an award-winning guitarist, songwriter, singer, composer, producer, and sound engineer who has been blind since a brain tumor as an infant. He also runs a studio and is a voting member of the Grammys. He is very active as a touring musician, having started off 2020 with a show at the famed Whiskey A Go-Go in Hollywood. In the last quarter of 2019 alone, he performed in Washington, D.C., Georgia, New York, South Carolina, Tennessee, and California. He has opened for or worked with numerous major musical acts, which we will also talk about today. Last October, he released a five-song holiday EP called A Santa That Plays Guitar. You've been hearing a song of his called Troubles Come in Threes. It's my pleasure to welcome to now hear this entertainment, Joey Stuckey. Hey, Bruce. It's glad to be with you, man. Yeah, Joey, thanks for taking time to talk to me today. Oh, my, my pleasure. And you know, Bruce is one of my favorite names. It's mainly because of the Monty Python skit. So I don't know <laughs> if you're familiar with that. Uh, if you're familiar with that. But for those of you that aren't, look it up after the show. There you go. There you go. Well, let's start off by having you first tell the listeners about the song of yours that we were just playing called Troubles Come in Threes. Yeah, so, you know, what happened with that song, I, I kind of did, uh, you know, as as we get older and and we start trying to pass on our knowledge to the next generation, a lot, a lot of times we tell them certain things that you should never do. And um, so with this song, I broke the, one of my own rules and did something that I tell my students never to do. <laughs> and so what that was was we the band was on tour in Tennessee, and we happened to be in Memphis and had a day off. And I'm not a real big fan of days off. So I was like, oh, let's go. Why don't we go record just for fun? go record at Sun Studio, which is a, a famous studio where Elvis and Roy Orbison, uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, all these wonderful people did some amazing seminal records. Right. And so basically Sun is a museum during the day, and at night you can rent it for about three hours for studio time. Ah. Now, it's not sophisticated. They're still using you know all the microphones and amps and stuff from the 60s. Wow. The drum set they have there was gifted to them by U2 when U2 came through, I believe, on their Rattle and Hum tour wow. and cut that song, uh, Angel of Harlem. And so that's the drum set we got to use, so we were all pretty much geeking out on that. And, you know, we had our trailer full of stuff. I was like, man, let's just use what they got. Well, they record in the way they did back in the you know 50s and 60s, which is everybody in one room and a handful of microphones for the whole thing, which, you know, in the modern era is not how we do it at all. Sure. And so you can't really fix anything. If you make a mistake, you got to start over. And every other instrument bleeds onto every other instrument. So there's a little bit of drums in the vocal mic. There's a little bit of guitar in the bass mic, you know, stuff like that. You, uh-huh. can't, you can't really totally separate it. So, But we just did it for fun. And then I said, well, we'll just kind of record, you know, our set that we're playing right now just as a memento. Um, and But then I thought, gosh, it's, it's sure is a shame to go spend money. I've never paid for studio time in my life before because I've always had my own studio. But it's kind of a shame to go into Sun Studio and not record something new. So I wrote the song Troubles Come in Threes uh, about three days before we went in. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I tell my students, never do that. You should always yeah. be well rehearsed, well, <laughs> you know, well prepared. And it, I totally was not. And I just <laughs> said, ah, you know, what's no big deal. We're doing it for fun if it works. It works, but doesn't it doesn't? It turns out that we we were able to record you know eight songs that I was happy with in about three hours, and that includes wow. setup time. And wow. and so I came home and then you know mixed it all myself at my place. But um, on that song, that was just a song that I just kind of wrote, you know, kind of at sound check basically, and and just kind of you know, fooled with it for a little bit in the hotel room, and, and that was it. And 
I think my favorite thing about that song is it's, it's got a nice groove to it. It allows me to to play a lot of sort of you know hot guitar licks. And my dear friend, after the fact, when we got home, uh, my dear friend Randall Bramlett, uh, I brought him in to play B3 organ on that. And um, that's kind of cool because Randall is such a talent. You know, he's he's played with uh, Steve Winwood and Traffic and Greg Allman and Sea Level. Uh, his some of his songs. He's an amazing artist in his own right. And he's had several of his own songs that he's written, recorded by like you know Bonnie Raitt and people like that. So Randall's really amazing, and um, he's been a dear friend for a long time. And so I brought him into place in B3. I was like, this thing needs some B3. And then uh, the good thing was like he he's such an amazing player that um, it forced me to play better because I didn't want to sound like a chump. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I like that song. I, I think I think the fun part about it for me is. Uh, there's Randall Bramlin on there. It's got a nice groove. Uh, you know, it was recorded at Sun Studio. Basically, everything except Randall was cut live and you know one take basically. And um, and and I think it captured the trio at a at a, at a real nice moment. And then um, I I kind of uh, as a as a someone who likes chords and and inversions and stuff like that. I, I think there's some nice chord changes. There's some very basic you know kind of minor blues chord changes there. But I've got like a, a sharp nine flat nine chord that recurs and some nice little punches, you know, and, and things like that that I really like from a musical standpoint. And at the end, there's a whole there's a whole chain of chords that I hold, uh, you know, one note over that I kind of like. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a neat little tune, and um, we we've been starting you know our sets with it, and uh, uh, it's been working out pretty well. Okay, people really enjoy it. We I have to say we we played the at the whiskey uh, a go go, and we uh, came out with that song, and and people really responded well to it. I was really nice, pleased. Nice. And listeners, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention with all that talk, Joey, of the B3. It makes me think of listeners, go back, if you never heard it, episode 210 of this show. My guest was Joey DeFrancesco. And I'm, oh, my favorite. Yeah. And so you can see why I think of him when I hear you telling that story. But great story and a great way to start this episode. I know that most people want to probably first jump all over the blind aspect. Sure. But... While by no means do I want to shortchange it, please don't misunderstand me. Is there anything more to say besides what I mentioned in the intro that it resulted from a brain tumor as an infant? Only because, gosh, you have done so much despite that, that we've got lots that we're going to be talking about today. But I I don't want to ignore it, but I don't want to make the whole interview about it because I'm sure that's what everybody wants to go to first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you've got a good point. So, I mean, for me... I, I, you actually have encapsulated, without knowing it, one of my major talking points, because uh, I do a lot of inspirational talks, I do a lot of master classes, and um, I really am the same. One of my best compliments is I've had a friend of mine say, gosh, man, you're the same person every day, and I think that's good. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I pretty much live my life on stage and, and privately <laughs> exactly the same way. So um, one of the things that I kind of talk about is that we need to, and we all have some kind of hurdle to overcome or cross to bear or obstacle to, to conquer. Um, and it might be, my my case, it's a physical issue, uh, but it could be anything. Um, and I think that we as human beings, if we want to live a successful life of intention, then the critical point really is acknowledge your limitations, but don't be defined by them. So that is that is it would be crazy for me to say oh i even though i'm blind you know uh, i can i can drive or i should come to your, I, bruce you don't want me to show up and say hey i'm here to paint your house i'm the blind guy <laughs> uh, you know those are, yeah, those are things that i probably shouldn't do um so you know you have to recognize where your limitations are but then you also have to you know say well i'm more than just that um, right. but so so i like i, I think that uh, to your point, I mean, yes, it's a very important part of who I am. Um, it, it's important that we talk about that. And I use it as a, really as a, a way to talk about, look, if I can, I'm, I'm a blind guy and the brain tumor that I had left me with a host of other challenges. I have a metal hip on my right side. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when I met my lovely wife, I was in a wheelchair and I thought, oh, I thought, oh, dear God, you know, this is, you know, all my dates are, quote, blind dates, ha-ha, but she, <laughs> you know, we were actually set up on a, a real blind date or yeah. a, a mutual friend. And I thought, you know, is this the best time for me to go out and meet a new lady here? I, I'm blind, that's strike one. 
I'm in a wheelchair, there's strike two, and I'm a musician, there's strike three. <laughs> this one, this will never work. And then I thought, oh, what's what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst thing happens. We've been married 16 years now. Wow. So wow. you know, but I do think it's you know I, I talk about it as a you know I I the, the brain tumor um, caused the the hip issue way later in life. I won't bore you with the medical details, but and then last year I was surprised um, with this type of tumor. Some some people will lose a joint later in life, but it's very rare mm. they lose more than one. I am what I like to call a one percenter, uh, which means that I ended up losing a second joint and had to have a total shoulder replacement last year, uh, which was a big surprise and and not as much fun as I'd hoped. So <laughs> I talk about the blind stuff as more as a thing. Look, look, if I can do what I do, then you can do what you want to do regardless of your yeah, limitations. Yeah. Now, you know, and, and I think it's really important. I find that the only times I make mistakes in my life is when I don't follow my heart, when I don't follow that little voice that, that, that calls me to do something. Those are the only times, even when that voice seems crazy, those are the only times that I find that I make a mistake. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, that's, that's the big thing. Certainly being blind has presented some challenges. I mean, one thing is, uh, and again, you, you, but you use what you have, yep. and you don't try to be yep. something you're not. That's right. And so I, I know how to read sheet music, right? I know I teach my students, but I can't physically see to do it. And Braille music is really not very practical because you have to use both hands. Yeah, yeah. So those, so, so like, for example, I was trained classically, and I can play with orchestras and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but that's a bad use of my time because, I will have to memorize everything and practice and, you know, I'll get paid what, maybe 500 bucks to play with an orchestra. And that will be, that money will be for say uh, one rehearsal and a performance. And I'll have to spend about 30 hours in preparation Um, because I'll have to memorize the music because I'm not, I can't sight read. So I can do that or I can play blues or rock or jazz where our creativity and improvisation are more prized, which are things I do without effort. And I then like I it. have basically no practice time. Um, I just go out and spontaneously create. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what I'm known for. I like so it. I think talking about being blind in that respect is kind of interesting because it's just a matter of, and, and for me, again, if, if eyesight, mother health challenges, but it's just a matter of focusing your resources and using your time and your talent to the best of your opportunity. Cause there's only so much time in the day, and you've got to find out, like, prioritize, like, well, what's the best way for me to make a living? Yeah, well said. Well said. And uh, Joey and I are just meeting each other for the first time, but lo and behold, we have something pretty significant in common because I'm a one percenter, too. I've had two open-heart surgeries, and when I was diagnosed with what they diagnosed me with for the second one, they told me the same thing. They said less than one percent of the people that have the first open-heart surgery that you had end up with what you have now. So you and I have something in common, Joey. It's nothing to brag about. But (laughs) I also want to mention that, you know, this whole thing about uh, this goes back to episode 287. I interviewed Justin Johnson when I was in Nashville last summer for the Summer NAMM show. And Justin has developed shovel guitars. So think of a shovel that you use in the farm, in the backyard, whatever, to turn dirt, that type of shovel. He has been able to make guitars out of that. And the conversation that he and I had, and you'll see where I'm going with this, is don't think of Justin Johnson as, oh, the shovel guitar guy. If that's how you find him and then you hear his awesome music and you start becoming a fan and you love what he's doing, awesome. But think of the great music that he makes. And with Joey Stuckey, it's not, oh, the blind guy. It's, yeah, whatever. I mean, he happens to be blind. But if that's how you find him, great. But it's more about the music that Joey's creating. So that's also kind of where I like to come at that from, Joey. I mean, you provided some great perspective in what you said, but I also want people to understand that as important as it is to bear that in mind, at the end of the day, it's about the music that Joey's creating and not the fact that he's creating it while being a blind person. Absolutely absolutely correct. Right. That's exactly right. Listeners, if you still have not heard my big announcement yet, as the calendar was changing over to 2020, I overhauled the Patreon for this show And you can now get bonus content that is ad-free only through that method 
and all for just five bucks a month. So Joey and I are going to be talking even more over on there. We were going someplace really cool before we started recording this podcast, and I said, let's save it for the Patreon version. So we'll be talking about some of this kind of stuff over on the Patreon. There's already audio files up there from the last three NHTE episodes. Just hit the show website, nhte.net, and then click on the orange-colored Support Us on Patreon button for access and more details. Joey, let's start with a couple recent developments for you and go from there. For openers, there are a lot of people who subscribe to this podcast because they are aspiring musicians. So for their benefit, we talked briefly about the fact that you just performed at the Whiskey A Go-Go in Hollywood and a really notable music venue for sure. But in case there's a teaching moment here, other than being able to say they played there, is there a benefit to someone who's listening if they were able to get a booking to travel all the way across the U.S. or, or wherever they're from just to perform at the Whiskey A Go-Go and then turn all the way around and come back? Or or maybe I'm missing something here and you did more on the trip than just go there, perform, and come back to Georgia. Yeah, so that's a great that's a great question. So ideally, one would have a tour so that you're moving I, what I call a hub-and-spoke method. So you start out from a central location, you travel, and you hit, you hit venues um, in a targeted location, and then you kind of sweep back around uh, and come back to your starting point. That makes the most economical sense. One of the problems in the music business uh, right now is that everything has become sort of this pay-for-play yeah. uh, concept. There are very few venues. There are some, but there are very few venues where you know you can be hired because you're good. Um, you know, uh, uh, if you want to be on a major tour with major artists, they're like, yeah, you know, the talent you have to have the talent to hang. But they're also like, well, yeah, if you want to be on our tour and get exposed to our fans. It's going to cost you $1,000 uh, a day to be on it. I mean, there's all kind of stuff like that going on. You know, things things like I'm not singling out any specific website, but, you know, there's all these websites that, that provide, you know, theoretical opportunities for you to submit uh, to be part of tours and showcases and performances and festivals. And, and they charge sometimes, you know, not only do you have to subscribe to the website, but you also have to pay often for the submission fee. Yeah. And one of the problems with that is that, if you've got a hundred slots to fill and ten thousand people submit for twenty bucks a pop, once you find a hundred bands that fit your bill, you stop listening. So there are people that are paying money and not getting any return on it. I don't mind I don't mind paying for something of value. And so with the Whiskey A Go Go, what that particular show, we decided that what we wanted to do was to take the band to a historic uh, venue and to video and uh, multi-track record. Uh Yeah. Our, our set. So we had like five video cameras and we did a, we did a red carpet networking event uh, before the show where we had an email list of people that we wanted to meet and network with. And we said, look, we're going to, we're going to give you a free ticket to the show We've got a VIP room set up over here okay. um, for you to come. You know, if you if you have one of our VIP tickets, you'll get a free T-shirt, you'll get a free CD. So we we turned it into a real networking opportunity wow. and a real way to sort of break into the LA market. Now the reason you are correct, ideally we would not have flown over there, played, and come back. That's what we did this time. But I will be back in LA at the end of January for the Grammy week. And uh, I'm playing several shows there, again, you know, sort of related to the Grammys. And, of course, I'll be at the broadcast as well. And so it, it's more of a networking opportunity. Okay. But okay. we decided that that was how we wanted to kick off 2020. And we're going to be able to take basically these these videos and these pictures and, and basically show that we had, we're a band from out of town. Uh, we had a packed house. Awesome. And not only did we have a packed house, but we had people – that seriously enjoyed the show. I mean, I, I, I say this, and I mean it as humbly as I know how to, to, to say it, but I mean, we really did a great job, and, and people were so excited and enthusiastic with the set. It was one of the best shows I've ever played because, you know, there's this spiritual thing that happens between the audience and the performer, 
And the more the audience loves what you do, the better you do. Yeah. And we had such an amazing response that it, it was just, you know, I, I think we were some of the best stuff we've played. And uh, we had a very tight set. We had everything managed and, and you know, very carefully choreographed of what we we're going to do when. And, but that is not that is not a usual circumstance. But yeah. what we're doing is we're taking the video, we're taking the audio, and we're sort of making – we're using it to sort of make a – 2020 presentation package okay. which we're going to be using to pimp our summer tour yeah because yeah. The, the thing is all i'm i teach for two universities plus i own a recording studio my bass player is an elementary school uh, music teacher my drummer is a law enforcement uh, uh instructor at the, one of the training centers for law enforcement so during march through roughly may we're all kind of tied closer to home Mm-hmm. And we can only do like sort of weekend warrior type shows. But during the summer, we'll, you know, from June through August, basically, we'll be pimping you know, wherever we go. Okay. And one last thing I want to share about this to tie this point up. If you've got a record and whether you're only doing direct to fan marketing using social media or whether you're doing Internet satellite radio marketing or whether you're doing terrestrial radio marketing, you know, what's really important is to collect these analytics and you've got basically two types of analytics that you can look at. There's basically psychographic and demographic. And so if we've uh, launched a radio campaign and we went to 300, we did 300 stations in, the, in North America. So if we're not getting any airplay in Texas, if, if they're just not, I'm just making that up as a, just a random place. Uh-huh. But if we're not getting any airplay in Texas, um, it, it seems foolish to play there. Exactly. Because where's your support? Exactly. If, if we're, if on the other hand, we're getting a ton of radio play in New York, then we need to be in New York. Yeah. So, so the way I kind of pick where we go is the hub and spoke mentality. Like, uh, where are we? Where are we the most popular? I'm looking at the analytics, and then what's the most, you know, reasonable route from making georgia to those places and back again okay that is the best really the way to do it otherwise you're going to lose your shirt <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure well the other recent development is that i mentioned that you had put out a holiday ep it actually was released on halloween so how did that release do for you and do you recommend doing a holiday release what, what was your inspiration for putting that out well, the, uh, so so two things. Uh, I have a really twisted sense of humor, um, and I have a bit of a gallows sense of humor because I've almost died a bunch of times, and you kind of <laughs> develop that as a sense of humor, really. I mean, you know, and it's just, I just like, I just take, so I thought, let's release a Christmas album on Halloween. That part of my plan, as far as like kind of ginning up interest in the record, um, as far as um, sales, that didn't work as well as I'd hoped. Uh, so really you shouldn't probably release your holiday record until around Thanksgiving hmm. uh, because Halloween's a little too, a little, most of the people joke about Christmas starting in July. Halloween's a little too soon, but I just couldn't help it. I just thought it was funny <laughs> and, and it didn't hurt me. I mean, it didn't, you know, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't hurt me, but it also didn't help me. Yep. Um, but a holiday record's a really great idea. Uh, the reason for that is, you know, it has a six week shelf life, mm-hmm. but it has that life every year uh. and holiday music never, never goes out of style never goes out of date. It doesn't matter if it's a Christmas song from the 40s or if it's a Christmas song from the 80s. People love Christmas music. I mean, and people are needing it all the time. If you look at the biggest resource right now for independent musicians uh, is film and TV placement. And if you look at things like Hallmark Channel and stuff like that, I mean, they have a spade of new holiday movies every year that need you know holiday-themed music because every time you hear music on a TV show or a movie – Somebody's getting paid for that. It may not be a lot, but you might as well get that, you know, $1,000 or 100 bucks or whatever it is. That's right. Um, than, than somebody else. And so, so I think that's – and the whole reason that I did the Christmas record, back in July, my agent called me and said, hey, do you have any holiday music? Because I've got a guy that's looking for some holiday music that needs huh. some placements. And then right around the same time, maybe two or three days later, a real dear friend of mine who's actually being nominated for a Grammy this year called me. He's a music supervisor as well. And he said, hey, there's some guys that need some Christmas music. Do you have any Christmas music? Wow. And so I was like, I gave them both the same answer. I was like, well, I, I don't, but being as I own a recording studio, I can knock that out pretty fast. <laughs> so I cut three tracks. I did um, Jingle Bells, which is public domain, so no, I didn't pay royalties. I wrote my first Christmas song, which is Santa that plays guitar. And then I did a, a song that was not, that was, um, not public domain, uh, Let It Snow. 
And so um, I, I just, because I've always loved that tune. So I, I did those three, and I had such an amazing response from the people that heard it, the music supervisor, like, does he have more Christmas music? I want more Christmas music from this guy. Uh, all, all of them are like, he should put on a Christmas record. Wow. And I think, wow. every, I think every artist at some point has wanted to do a Christmas record. I mean, you got everybody from George Michael to Bing Crosby to Taylor Swift, Weezer, uh, hell, Judas Priest. I mean, they, they all have, there's Chris, everybody's done a Christmas record. Yeah. And, uh, the, yeah, the chipmunks. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so I've always wanted to do it. I just never found the right time. And so I was like, okay, well, I can probably record three more songs with the schedule that I currently have and then get everything ready to go out in time. So I did it. Uh, and then I went and did, it was this particular record was really not designed to make a lot of money as far as sales. Uh-huh. Uh, we certainly sold some, but that wasn't really its goal. Its goal was to actually, number one, be used for film and TV placement, but number gotcha. two, to, to go back out. So as I said, back in late March, we started the radio campaign for the record in the shadow of the sun that we promoted and toured on this year. So we really, out of that 300 stations, there were about 120 stations that picked us up and played us in heavy rotation. Mm. So what I did was I just went back for the Christmas record. I just went back to those 120 stations uh. and just just sent those people who were already fans that I didn't have to win over, sent them the Christmas EP and said, you know, here and then and most of you know a lot of them picked it up. I also ended up um, finding myself on a Christmas uh, sampler that went out to, uh, I think, 300 countries in Europe uh, and UK. And we ended up getting picked up by about 150 stations Mm. there. So, um, you know, it it really was, it was, it was what I call an awareness tool. And I I do think for artists that it is worth it. But again, you have to, you know, everybody has to look at where they are and decide if it's a reasonable use of their time and money. In my case, I felt like it was. And I have been really surprised and thrilled at how much people have loved this record. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And listeners, uh, another one for you to go back and listen to, just because Joey's checking off all kinds of boxes here. Episode 303, my guest was Angela Predom. She's based outside of Detroit, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and she has a song in a popular Hallmark Christmas movie. So go back and listen to her talk about that. And the day that this episode comes out with Joey, I'm going to already be in California myself. That'll be the day before the annual Winter NAM show will start. Not only am I speaking there and doing interviews for NHTE, but I'll certainly visit with some past guests and, of course, I'll visit with the good people at Tascam, especially since I'll be using their DR44WL handheld recorder to do those interviews. And that unit will have TM60 microphones connected to it and, of course, my Tascam headphones. Their booth at NAM is always huge, though. They display a lot of the very recording solutions that you can be using yourself in your indie music career. Even though national touring acts use gear from Tascam, you can, too, for your various music projects check out their extensive line of equipment at tascam.com that's t-a-s-c-a-m.com and then find a dealer joey we were talking about your holiday ep but i want the listeners to know that you have released lots and lots of music over the years listeners when you get on itunes to look joey up you'll see singles eps full albums so joey my question is how do you plan your releases? Because a lot of people think that it's easy for a studio owner to record any time, but that ends up not being the case because you're always serving the clients first. So that's exactly right. Are you able to even have any kind of release schedule for new original Joey Stuckey music, or is it just record when I can, release when I can? You know, it's I try to be as scientific as possible, but. I'm spending more time helping my students and, and they, that sort of thing and other clients. So that is really tricky. So a lot of people ask me, for example, uh, this year, well, when's, when's the next record coming out and what's the next record going to be? And the answer is I don't actually know. I have in various stages of completion four or five different projects that could easily all end up being the next thing. Wow. So it will it will really greatly depend upon you know what just how the stars align. 
I, I know for sure that this year, at some point, there will be a live uh, album based on the multi-track recordings from the tour in 2019 and the Whiskey A Go-Go show in 2020. Uh-huh. So I know I know that's going to happen um, at some point, but I don't know when. My suspicion is that it'll probably come out, you know, springtime. But I also have another, several other things. I have some very dear friends of mine, and we've been promising each other to make music together. One's producer, Ross Hogarth, uh, who is an incredible talent and um, is uh, you know, won a Grammy back in, I think it's 2018, for his work with Ke- uh, Kev Mo. So, you know, he, he's just really incredible. He's done, he's done records from Van Halen and Melissa Etheridge and all these wonderful people. Um, and then another friend of mine is Ron St. Germain, uh, who's incredible, who's, you know, worked with, started his career as a engineer for Sesame Street, ended up recording, uh, mixing actually, you know, Tool, their, their, my favorite album of theirs, wow. which is Undertale. He mixed that record. He did almost every record from uh, Ornette Coleman um, from the 70s you know, and 80s. Um, he did some work with Stevie Wonder. So he's just an incredible guy. So, and we promised to do something together. So, gotcha. uh, and then my dear friend Mark Hornsby, who was the, who until just a, a month or so ago was the uh, uh, produ- resident producer and chief engineer at Sweetwater Sound in, in uh, Fort Wayne. Uh-huh. He, uh, he and I have been promised to do some work together, too. He's, he's gone on to pursue other things. And he's done, you know, and lots of incredible albums, Beth Hart, and just so many others. So, I mean, you know, I've got these friends. We've been promising to make make music together and do something, and I, I know we are. I don't know if that's going to happen this year. That's that's the intention. Okay. But I also have a jazz album. I wrote 11 jazz songs over the period of a month, and uh, they're all fairly aggressive sort of bebop slash fusion type recordings. And uh, I basically locked my, my band in the studio for a weekend, <laughs> and we just recorded those songs. And the, the most the ex- most exciting part of that process was the guys like, man, that was almost – we, like, made it really hard on ourselves and really tested our ability and played to the edge of our skill. Mm. And uh, that was really exciting to, to play. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, fun, it's, fun to, it's fun to play in your wheelhouse and, and not to have to work that hard and just have fun. But it's also fun to like test yourself, mm. and we did. We tested ourselves, and at the end, we're like, "Oh my god, that was exhausting." <laughs> like, you know, and I was like, "Yeah, I wasn't sure I, wasn't sure I was going to make it." You know, and so so I've got that record. I just haven't mixed it, and so I'm excited to hear that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I mean, by and large, what happens is um, I have learned to plan, but also uh, take advantage of opportunities when they sure. unexpectedly pop into sure. existence. So. So I know that I'm going to put out a record, and I just sort of let let the stars align where they will. And gotcha. once I sort of understand, well, this is the time I have to work with, and this is when I can do it. Once I understand that, and and I, I understand what project is going to make the most sense based on what's happening at the moment and what's happening, you know, what I have planned for the future, then at that point, once I have, you know, the the, the album itself is a little mysterious, like what's going to come together. But once that is all satisfied, then I am very strategic about the release and the tour and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So it's kind of a combination of both. Okay. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is, be forewarned, because I'm going to embarrass some of you, but guys, specifically guys, it has been brought to my attention that some of you use your Instagram music account to follow accounts of and or like posts by females who are putting up provocative posts that's going to be something that people are going to remember about you in a way that can negatively impact your brand think twice about this type of social media engagement there is heightened awareness in more ways than one nowadays whereby you can't risk ruining your reputation over that type of behavior be smart about your social media practices and that is today's bruce's bonus that's really great to know isn't it very helpful right 
Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes, and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. Well, I've mentioned you being a studio owner, but you actually have your own record label. Is that correct? Senate Records? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And that is done for those people that are independent musicians. Uh, actually, there's a wonderful book by one of my professors from Berkeley. Uh, his name is John Kellogg. And John is uh, you know, an entertainment lawyer to the stars. And he also used to be an artist. And he, uh, he's like, he loved singing and was a good singer and, and you know, had some success. But uh, he was like, man, I need to make some real money. So, I, I, you know, so he, he, he went into law. But he has a book called uh, – it's an ebook you can find on Amazon. I think it's like maybe 10 bucks. But it's uh, called Taking Care of Your Music Business. And I believe it's uh, version two is what's out right now. But it's Taking Care of Your Music Business by John Kellogg. And um, that's a really wonderful reference book to learn about record labels and what they actually do. But one of the main reasons you want to have a record label if you're an independent artist is so that you have uh, a method for taxes being appropriately applied, and you also have a corporate shield so that if you were to be sued for some reason, people can't come after your personal assets. They can come after the corporation's assets, but they can't take your home or your car or whatever. So, you know, um, there are basically four types of corporations, and I won't go crazy on that rabbit hole, but you've got, you know, sole proprietorship, partnership, LLC, and then the C-Corp, and you can have an additional corporate structure addendum, if you will, as an S-Corp as part of, that's called a subchapter S, as part of a C-Corp, and that's all about taxes and stuff like that. But, you know, basically... You know, what you want, the LLC is the most popular because it's the easiest to understand, really, uh, and gives you the most protection, the least amount of money expended. But it's something that I did because I wanted a, a corporate structure to hold my copyrights. Okay. And what you don't want to do is be double taxed, right? So if you, if your if your corporation's taxed and then you make money from the corporation, then you're taxed. That's double taxation. Yeah. So you don't you yeah. want to avoid that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's that's the reason. Also. I feel like there's like the creative side of the music business, which is essential because without it, there's no business. But then there's the business side of the music business, yeah. and that part needs to be really stable. And I find that if somebody calls uh, from a record label promoting an artist versus the artist calling themselves, yeah. that's a much more powerful thing, oh, yeah. even if the artist and record label are the same thing. Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. Joey, it has been a while since I've had someone on who is running a studio. For the benefit of those listeners who are aspiring musicians, what's the most common mistake being made by people coming in to record with you for the first time that's kind of on your wish list for things you'd love for folks like that to know about before they get to the studio? Well, there's two things. Number one, the studio is a terrible rehearsal hall, right? So practice and know your music backwards and forwards. You should never come and go, hey, how are we going to end this song and then have to have a 45-minute discussion while the clock's rolling? <laughs> I mean, I don't care. I get paid one way or the other, but I don't. what I don't like to see is my clients not maximizing their opportunity because I want them to leave with a tool that's going to propel their career to a higher level. That's what I want them to leave with. And if, if they aren't prepared when they come in, that can be a real problem. Uh, the other thing, though, is you know people get really wound, like just – really obsessed and sort of wound up in minutia, things that are important to them, but things that the average listener is not going to care about. Because the, the listener does not know what you intended. Only you know that. Mm. So people, get, I, I have literally had, and I just wanted to like, I was like, where's the box cutter? I want to slip my wrist. <laughs> like, what, it's like, it's like, I have literally had clients come in and spend like hours, and I'm not kidding around here, hours listening to different reverbs. Really? Wow. So it's like, I mean, look, there are reverbs that have a spring reverb sounds different than a plate reverb. Yes, that's true. Digital sounds different than analog. Yes, that's true. But the fact is reverb has three purposes. It is to add depth and space to recording. It is to obscure pitch issues or it's to add decay to something that doesn't have enough decay. 
if the reverb fulfills one of those three functions, the rest is really just just not that important. So if you find a reverb that 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 makes things sound better, do you really need to hear another 150 to, to see if you like one of those? Better? I mean, it just it, it just makes no sense. Yeah, I'm um, I'm and, laughing, so, but it's a good point though. No, no, I mean it's true. I mean it's just like so. So I mean, I mean that's just a, an example of basically if you. You know, your average band that's a professional, successful band spends two to three hundred hours in the studio. They might not be there that whole time, but that's how much studio time is typically involved, you know, especially on a major label. And so if you need that kind of time, but you can only afford 20 hours, then you've got to understand that while we can make you a great, great record that will take you from point A to point B and help you along your journey – we cannot make that 300-hour record in 20 hours. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's right. So when you have a giant budget like that, yeah, you can sit around and, and experiment and do all this. You know, oh, what if we did this? What if we did that? But, and so that's, that's all great. But, you know, you have to kind of manage expectations. So, again, it's like some guys are so hung up on um, just things that just don't matter, like uh, wanting to add a sound effect or wanting to pan a bunch of vocals left or right. Or, you know, those things are cool ear candy. But at the end of the day, they do not make or break the song. So, you know, yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't go for that if you have the time. But what you should really be going for is a solid performance, a good sound that's representative of you, and and then, you know, spend your money on – you don't forget, not only do you have to be in the studio and, and pay for that, but then you've got to press the records, you've got to promote the records, you've got all these other things you got to spend money on. That's right. That's right. Well, and the thing is, in today's market, uh, we've seen the download is – starting to show some losses. Uh, streaming is where it's at. Um, and unfortunately, streaming royalties are ridiculous. Um, and then, I mean, they're just not sustainable for a real career. So we've got to get CRB, Copyright Royalty Board, to at least make those streaming royalties from Spotify and other places like that match terrestrial radio. But then on top of that, you know, if you're at a show, people are buying CDs now not because of the music, but because it's a souvenir of their time with you, mm. and they're gonna they're gonna they're, if, if they leave if you don't have merch at your show, they're gonna go and they're gonna listen to you on Spotify. They're not gonna they're probably not gonna download you on yep. iTunes. Yep. They're probably not gonna go to your website and buy a CD. So shows are where you're gonna sell your CDs and your T-shirts, and those things are more about souvenirs of their time with you than they are about the music because they're like, oh, I'll just go listen to Spotify yeah. for free or yeah. Pandora or whatever. And, and so, anyway, my point is that you know you gotta you gotta have money for merch, you gotta have money for PR. So you don't want to spend a bunch of unnecessary money in the studio if you don't have it. Yep, yep. Well said, well said. And I mentioned back in the intro that Joey has opened for or worked with numerous major musical acts, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, I want to reset. I'm joined today on the Now Here This Entertainment guest line from approximately 90 minutes from Atlanta, Georgia, by guitarist, songwriter, singer, composer, producer, and sound engineer Joey Stuckey. Visit his official website at joeystuckey.com, and I will put a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. On his site, you will find social media links so that you can connect with Joey through Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Instagram. His music is streaming on Spotify, so you can certainly follow him on there. However, to better support him, Purchase downloads of his music or even CDs or vinyl, which you can find links to on joeystuckey.com. Be sure to keep up with him online for where and when you can see him perform live. And for his recording studio, check out shadowsoundstudio.com. And then, of course, always follow Joey online for news announcements, the new music that he might be putting out in 2020, those type of details. I did mention earlier about the Patreon for this show. Check out the bonus audio, which is ad-free, by going to the show website, nhte.net, and hit the orange-colored Support Us on Patreon button. It's only 5 bucks a month. And don't forget that another way you can support this show is through your regular, everyday purchases on Amazon. It's no extra cost to you, so you're able to support NHTE without taking extra money out of your pocket. Just go to the show website, nhte.net, Scroll down to the tall Amazon banner, and then once you click that, it will open either their shopping app if you're on your phone, or it'll open their website if you're on your computer. And either way, at the end of the transaction, they will kick back a small percentage of the sale to me, which helps with the expenses I have for putting out a new episode of this show every week. 
And no, I don't even see what you bought. So thank you for your support of the show through the exclusive ad-free bonus audio on Patreon or by starting your online shopping through my Amazon banner. Joey, I mentioned in there buying your music on vinyl. As someone who has been around the music industry for many years and in so many different roles, is vinyl back or is this resurgence that we've been seeing just going to be a fad and disappear at some point in the near future? I think it's back. I, I think what you're finding now is that, you know, in a sense, digital music has become so disposable that people, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, things change and that's fine. And you have to be able to change with the times. But, you know, like I said, the streaming services are so easy and so sort of kind of like the lazy way to listen. Uh, so you just you just tell your, your smart device, hey, play whatever. And you can hear like every album made by that artist. Oftentimes, uh, commercial free with limited commercials and you can for a very cheap price you know have it commercial free and, and just on all your devices so you know I, I think it's become i think people have started kind of wanting a physical product again and wanting something you know the, the vinyl record now as a blind person it doesn't really apply to me but almost every musician i know especially those that, that were were alive when vinyl was king really misses those large album covers and how you can hold the album in your hand. It's, it's a very tangible, solid, physical object. Yeah. It has that big picture. And then it has all these, you know, liner notes and stuff that you can read and, uh, and big print on the back or on the insides of the folds or whatever. So I think there's that. And then there's people that really have, you know, long for a slightly different experience with vinyl. Vinyl certainly has a different sound than a CD. Now, from a technical standpoint, I have to say, if you look at the math, uh, you know, CDs are better sound quality than vinyl. And that's just, that is true. But the fact is that actually vinyl's flaws are what gives it character and actually what makes it more appealing. Like uh, digital is almost too perfect, too clean. And so a lot of, like, if you, if you look at a B3 organ, for example, I mean, you know, that B3 organ grinds and, and, and groans and, it has all these mechanical sounds, and, and, and that's what it has grit, and that's what gives it its charm. You know, that's what makes it such an organic experience. So I think that vinyl is is that organic experience and, and the medium that people really enjoy. And I have to say, you know, we cut this. I've never put pressed vinyl before. Again, as a blind person, when I was a little kid, and Michael Jackson's Thriller was out, you know, I had to go and walk to the record store and buy like three or four copies because I was trying to move the needle to my favorite songs, but I can't see what I'm doing. So I'm over there trying to find the needle and then I'm scratching the record all off. <laughs> and, you know, and eventually I'm like, screw it, I'll go to cassette. But I mean, you know, so I remember vinyl. So I mean, from that perspective, you know, I, I always kind of like, I hate vinyl, I hate vinyl, I hate vinyl. But, you know, now that I'm older um, and we recorded at Sun Studio, you know, with those that equipment from the 60s, yeah. I thought, you know, it, it kind of would be sacrilege. It was a warm, real fuzzy you know, my stuff that I do on my own is pretty articulate, very clean. Um, this is a real warm, fuzzy, kind of vibey thing that happened. And I thought, man, it would just be wrong not to have, not to press vinyl for this. And I have to say, it is everything I wanted it to be. I had to go buy a turntable. I didn't have one. <laughs> I had to go buy a turntable so I could, so I could check the test press. And, and, and I mean, it was like everything I hoped it would sound like on vinyl. It did. And I was like, oh my God, awesome. this is so great. Awesome. So I just, I really love it. So I do think vinyl's here to stay. Now, do I think it's going to ever be as popular as it once was? No. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Is, it is no longer the primary format. Sure. But you're going to see, you're still going to see what I call boutique experiences for real music fans. So, for example, uh, you know, recently Giles Martin released the Abbey Road Beatles box set. Um, you're going to see stuff like that, $100 box sets yeah, that have yeah. vinyl CDs and Blu-rays. and You're going to see that stuff, I think, trend upwards a little bit as downloads go down. So the King, at least for the next decade or so, uh, the King is going to be streaming. And then I think you'll see you'll, downloads are going to go down, but they're still going to be the next you know, largest consumable. And then I think you'll see uh, merch at shows and boutique experiences mm -hmm. um, like the, the really uh, you know, enormous box sets that have yeah. all these different ways to experience your favorite music, you'll see those things as well. So yeah. I, I think vinyl's here to stay. Okay. Um, the great thing is, you know, independent musicians, you've got this double-edged sword called the Internet, 
Uh, and one of the good things about the Internet, we talk about the bad things too, but one of the good things is you can literally ask your fans, hey, guys, do you want vinyl? That's right. And that's what you should do. And if they do, then press it. If they don't, then don't. There you go. You know, I did it because I wanted to do it and didn't care. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I do want to touch on some of these national acts that I've referred to a couple times. First off are some that you opened for, like Smash Mouth, Ted Nugent, Trisha Yearwood, Bad Company. There's a whole lot more. Is that something that you still pursue nowadays, or has your business shifted to where opening for a national act is not a top priority? Uh, I like it when it happens, yes. I, I like it when it happens. It's a lot of fun. I think, you know, anytime you can find a band that has an audience you think will be receptive to you, but an audience you have not been able to tap into because they've got the, you know, they've got Warner brothers behind them and you don't right or whatever. Uh, it's a good idea to go and open for those guys, even if it's for free and, and steal their audience basically. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you would take them away from, I'm not saying that sure. Joey Stuckey's going to take away Nugent fans. Sure. What I'm saying is that Ted Nugent fans can also be Joey Stuckey fans. Yep, that's right. And so um, I think that's a really strategically smart thing to do. So, yeah, I still like it when it happens. Good. But it's not a thing that I spend you know a ton of time on yeah. seeking out because I've made it to a point where I'm stable enough that I don't have to do that. But I sure yeah. like it when it happens. It's a lot of fun, especially if it's somebody you admire. Oh, sure. Man, it's a lot of fun to be in their presence. And, and boy, you can just sit in the corner and keep your mouth shut and learn so much from, from people. Oh, I, yeah. I, you know, I loved it. I, I had some – I had some, with Smash Mouth, we were playing with them. We were their opener for the Georgia-Florida game, and uh, the catering kept trying to give us their food. <laughs> and they're like, are you guys Smash Mouth? I'm like, no. And they're like, are you sure? Pretty sure. And, uh, so, I mean, we just – you know, there's some really fun stories with those guys. And, and you know, with Ted Nugent, I mean – yeah, you know, that was an amazing show. Uh, Derek St. Holmes, who sings with Ted, became a dear friend of mine. And his his first wife, uh, Rhonda, who sadly passed away from cancer, oh, probably 15 years ago now, uh, was a big fan of mine and a real big supporter. And they were just so super sweet, down-to-earth, wonderful people. Nice. And Derek actually ended up moving to Georgia. And, and I don't know if he still lives here or not, but he was fantastic. And with Ted Nugent, I mean, my only thing with him is like, you know, He's walking around with his bow and arrows everywhere. I'm like, oh my god, I'm <laughs> shot by a bow and arrow. I'm like, hey, put, can you can you put that down with the blind guys in the room? I don't know which way to run. <laughs> you know? But it, but it it was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And listeners, uh, the episode of this show that came out on Christmas Christmas Day, I released episode 307. Mudbone. He's a Nashville-based singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist. Go back and listen to that one. He told a cool story about opening up for the Charlie Daniels Band. And really, one story that jumps to mind that was really, really neat to hear was on the Milestone 300th episode of this show, Dax Nielsen. He's the drummer for Cheap Trick. He told a story during my interview with him about how he went out and played with the opening act like three nights in a row, I think. So he played with the opening act and then, of course, you know, went off stage for like 20 minutes and then came back and played the whole Cheap Trick show, obviously. So listen to my interview with him, too. And listeners, I heard last week from the editor of Access Vegas. He knows that I talk about that e-newsletter on this podcast. And by the way, you'll hear from him, too, if you write in with questions to him. Anyhow, he was telling me that probably the content of theirs that draws the most interest is their report on how to increase comps. And that's exactly the type of insider information you can expect when you get Access Vegas in your inbox. There are more tips and reports that you can read, especially when you factor in that you get access to their archives, too. And I'm happy that NHTE listeners can get $5 off when you sign up by going to my show website, nhte.net, and then just click on the Access Vegas logo and put in the code BRUCE for that discount. And then you'll be on your way to reading all about the discounts that they can point you towards They'll save you lots of time and money on your next Las Vegas trip, and you don't need coupons for all that. So again, hit the podcast website, nhte.net, click on the Access Vegas logo, and then as you're signing up with them, put in the code BRUCE to get $5 off. Drop me an email at podcast at nhte.net and let me know how you're liking their newsletter. Joey, we're almost out of time here, but wow, an equally impressive list of artists that you've worked with as either a producer, composer, sound engineer, or musician, a list that ranges from George Thorogood to Alan Parsons to Danny Serafin from Chicago. Listeners, you'll see all these people listed on Joey's website. 
So Joey, two questions, I guess. One is, at this point, do they all find you instead of you finding them? And secondly, as a result of all of this, do you have time to take on brand new clients that you've never met before who are just starting into their music career? Or is it my plate is full with a different caliber of clients? So it, it actually is, uh, uh, like most of my life, it, it's uh, a hodgepodge. Um, I find them and they find me. Okay. So um, that is really, that is really, because you know, part of why I go to the Grammys and stuff like that is to network and meet people. And so last year, for example, I was at a, an event and I met Al Chez. And Al is the trumpet player for Tower of Power. He was part of Paul Schaefer's band on The Late Show with David Letterman for 17 years. And as my wife and I were walking, we've been schlepping stuff like all over New York City back in 2018, I should say. And so we were exhausted. And uh, this voice from the left came, came out of, the, of the, the smoky room and said, hey, you guys need a place to sit down? I was like, yes, we do. And I said, we're exhausted. Well, come sit. I've got room on my table, man. Y'all don't even have to come have a seat. And uh, we just started. I didn't know who this guy was. And we just started talking. And, and then I was like, oh, my God, I've been listening to you my whole life. I've always laughed every time they come back from break and I hear this one high, loud trumpet that always, always gets the last note. Wow. And I've been laughing at that for years, and it's you. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, dude, you, you've got to play on my, my next record. And, you know, he just said, uh, he, you know, ba- just based on, he never heard me play, but just based on the like hour-long visit we had, he's yeah. like, absolutely, wow. just let me know. And man, it's just so, you know, that's why you do stuff like that. Yep. Uh, and then um, the second thing is I love working with celebrities or already established artists, especially people I admire, because I learn from them. They learn from me. Mm. It's, it's a great thrill and a great honor to feel like you can help. I mean, even these amazing stars, even in some small way that I contributed to, to something they did is exciting. But honestly, my favorite thing is to work with artists that are at the beginning of their career or middle of their career who really could use some good advice and somebody and and, and somebody that's going to help them do what they need to do for the, the least amount of money that they can. Because I want them to save money on their first record so they can be successful and come back and cut the second record wow. with me. You know, I mean, that's, I, I want, I, I really care about that and I worry about, people that haven't had my experience and don't know the pitfalls. I want them not to have to make the mistakes I made, you know, and, and be able to learn from me. And so we take it as a real point of pride to work with artists that are starting their career. We take it as a real point of pride to be a place that can set them on a firm path of success for the rest of their career Fantastic. and give them the experience, and the tools that they need. Fantastic. And, and at a price that's not going to break the bank, you know? And that, yeah. So I, I love that when they say, yeah, I'm, I mean, I am busy, but I'm never too busy to, to, to be of service to somebody if I can. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to close today with another song of yours, one called Ain't It Good to Be in Love. Before I let you go, tell the listeners all about this song, please. Well, this has my buddy Al Chez I was just talking uh. about. He's playing trumpet on this record, and he is uh, incredible. And this is, again, recorded at Sun Studio with my trio. And um, the thing about uh, this song that's interesting is, one, it's got Al Chez on it, and it's, it's just gorgeous. And the other is my bass player was teaching a bunch of middle schoolers, and uh, they loved this song so much that they – wanted to do a, 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 a choral arrangement of it for their Christmas concert back uh. in 2018. And I said, of course, that's great. And they did. And, and then I said, well, you know, when we came to record it, and I said, well, you know, these kids already know this song. Let's bring the choir in and have them sing on it. Wow. So we've got 30 middle schoolers singing on this thing. Wow. And the other thing that makes it dear to my heart is I co-wrote this song with my friend Charlie Hoskins. Charlie is a producer from the U.K. who played – in a band called The Popes, which was a splinter group of a band called The Pogues, which had a number of hits with Shane McGowan, like Dirty Old Town and some other stuff like that. And he also um, worked with um, tangentially with Modern English. So Charlie and I met while I was on tour in UK. I was speaking at University College of London, and I was playing around town. And Charlie was a friend of a friend of a friend that came out to one of my And he walked up to me and said, my name is Charlie Hoskins. My superpower is I can sing like a girl. <laughs> and we were just 
instantly friends, and, and we wanted to write music together. And so we wrote a, wrote a whole album together, and then Charlie sadly passed away at the end of 2017. Mm. And so I've got a whole record that we've done together that I haven't released yet. I'm not just not quite sure what I want to do with it, but yeah. I just I love that I was able to honor his memory uh, with this tune. I love that the kids honored his memory. In fact, they dedicated that Christmas concert to Charlie. Wow. Because he passed away like two months before that concert. Mm. And so every time I get a chance to play this live, I feel like I'm keeping Charlie's memory alive. I feel like I'm keeping his spirit of music alive. And it makes me really happy. And and then, then lyrically, it's a very sunny, you know, happy song. Not particularly complicated. But it's it's certainly dedicated to my lovely wife, Jennifer, who, uh, as I say, we've been married 16 years. And so, um, you know, it really, it, it's just a feel-good song. And I think um, I love to wax philosophical and I love to sing about, you know, uh, all kinds of things, happy or sad. But I think it's nice to have just a song that's effervescent and really is fairly straight ahead and simple. And it's just like, hey, you know what? You should be happy. This is a, this is a, it's great to be in love, <laughs> and uh, it's nice to feel the sunshine. And, and uh, let's take a let's take a moment from the crazy universe and just be happy yeah, for a second. Yeah, good so, stuff. I, I like that. Yeah, good stuff, Joey. It's been great. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for making time to talk with me today. I enjoyed it. Me too, man. It's my honor. I appreciate it. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. Before he and I go chat some more over on the Patreon content, I want to formally here thank guitarist, songwriter, singer, composer, producer, and sound engineer Joey Stuckey. Do visit his official website at joeystuckey.com. Again, I will put a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And then on his site, you'll find social media links so that you can connect with Joey that way. So that means like his Facebook page, follow him on Twitter and Instagram, subscribe to his YouTube channel, and then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell him you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Remember that his music is streaming on Spotify, so you can certainly follow him on there. However, as I said before, to better support him, purchase downloads of his music or even CDs or vinyl, which you can find links to on joeystuckey.com. Be sure to keep up with him online for where and when you can see him perform live, as well as news about new music that he releases in 2020, hopefully. And don't forget the website for his recording studio, which is shadowsoundstudio.com. Don't forget about the ad-free bonus content for this show that is only available exclusively through Patreon. There's already similar audio up there already from each of the last three weeks' guests. I mentioned Mudbone before. He was the first one that I got started with over there. It's only 5 bucks a month, and that does help me with expenses that I have for doing this show. Go to the show website, nhte.net. Hit the orange-colored Support Us on Patreon button, and that will take you to where you can gain access to the exclusive content. Remember also about scrolling down on nhte.net to the tall Amazon banner to start all of your shopping through them that way so that they can kick back a small percentage of the sale to me to help with the expenses I have for doing this show every week for what will be six years as of mid-next month. For now, that will do it for episode 310. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Joey Stuckey. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Ain't It Good to Be in Love.
Be in love 